Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. A podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner, and ADMP is proud to sponsor the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. All massage therapists and body workers can access free ADMP resources and information on the coronavirus and the massage profession at admp.com forward slash COVID-19, including sample release forms, PPE guides, and a special issue of Massage and Bodywork magazine, where Till and I are frequent contributors. For more, please check out the ABMP podcast also. It's available at abmp.com forward slash podcasts or wherever you prefer to listen. So welcome again to The Thinking Practitioner. Till, great to be with you again today. Um, What are we chatting about? Well, you had this very fascinating idea that I am looking forward to digging into with you. That's the question of what resources we use, what inspires us, what drives our learning. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. You know, people ask me this question a lot. You know, what do you study? What are you still looking into? What are you reading about, et cetera? And I thought, well, you know, this would be a good thing for us to share with each other. And this is part of our early and, and ongoing conversations about what we're both doing and what we're looking into and everything. So I thought, hey, let's let's dig into this a little bit and see, you know, what kind of things we're exploring with people. So um, we talked about this a little bit and thought we maybe would sort of divide this up into some categories of things that are more professional-oriented resources or professional inspirations and some of those maybe on our personal side too that also tend to inform our thinking or inform our, our inspirations as well. So um yeah. What, a, what great timing, too, because, I mean, there's so much resetting going on here, you know, a year plus into the New World Order. And so many of us have had to reconfigure uh, yes. you know, our, our maps around what inspires us, what drives us. And learning has really emerged as such an important piece for many of us. Yeah. And then also personal, being personally inspired, personal personally resourced. I know that's a challenge. And a lot of people really struggle with that. A lot of people are finding it in new and deeper ways. So I'm really glad you're asking the question. And I, I know it's something that I get asked a lot. And I hear a lot of inspiring stories from people too, like what keeps us plugged in? What keeps us fed? What keeps us interested in going for this? Yeah. And I think this is, you know, certainly one of those things that, you know, when you talk about career longevity of people who've been doing this a long time, you know, you and I are both multiple decades into this uh, adventure. (laughs) Right, (laughs) fossilized, petrified at some point. Uh, You know, I know I have to continually revisit this, like what keeps me going? What drives me to keep doing this uh, after a while instead of deciding, okay, um, I think I'm done. I want to go work at a car wash or something, you know, so. um, Is that where you would work if you didn't do this? You'd do a car wash? That's a good question. No, I wouldn't do a car wash. I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's my thing. Um, My first job was a dishwasher. I wouldn't go back to that either. I probably wouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, most of us probably started in the dishwashing realm. So my first job long, long time ago was actually, uh, unloading produce at a farmer's market. Um, we're having to like uh, unload the watermelon trucks and, and, uh, that's, that kind of stuff. It was very physical. This was in physical Georgia. Probably, probably yeah, back in warm. Georgia. It was warm. Yep. It was uh, quite warm in the summertime, but, uh, it was a good job. Yeah. It was a good job. Well, you're, yeah. You're, it's a good point. What keep, yeah, it's a renewable question. It just makes me think too something like the marriage is not the wedding. Yeah. You know, our career is not our certification or yeah. graduation. And especially yeah. at some point, we can't hold our breath anymore. 
you know, maybe I held my breath for maybe five years of my practice. I mean, just kind of got through on enthusiasm and yeah. uh, youth and who knows what else, but was seeing like so many clients, I can't believe it now. And at some point I had to come up for air and go, wow. Okay. So now I need to think about what inspires me, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. So, well, we got kind of some lists that we put together. So tell me, yeah. um, tell me what's on your list. Um, what are some things that, that, okay. uh, that draw you? Well, your, your first question was like, what resources do you use? And then, like you said, we fleshed that out into different dimensions, but just like starting with like information resources, like where do I go when I want to know about something or deepen my understanding? The first thing I really realized is it's not even a single place, but it's the way that I use some bookmarks and folders mm-hmm. on my browsers and devices that help me keep track of things I run across. And uh, I don't want to make it sound really complex. It's not as super simple, but it's just that it's, it's that habit of when I see something that looks interesting or I hear about it, I stick a bookmark in the folder. And so, so then, yeah, so then I go back and I can I go like, oh, yeah, I want to know about inflammation or I want to understand how to leverage the effects of the COVID, COVID vaccine or I want to know about what people are doing to combine movement in their practices. I got that in my bookmark folder. So I got to ask this because I you know, have done things like that over the years. And what I found is like, I came across so many interesting things. I started having, you know, 23 bazillion bookmarks and I couldn't remember, you know, oh. was this in what area, this area. So how did, is there anything that you do to organize them more specifically to remember, you know, where was that thing that you just found or, or how do you, how do you organize that stuff? You only have 23 bazillion. I'm up to only like 23. Now, do you? Well, of course, you know, you're a lot <laughs> older than me. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah, no, that, that is uh, a key. But, you know, the cheat there is the search function uh-huh. in my bookmark folder. And I it's probably, you know, there's an equivalent on Chrome or something, but I'm doing mine, say, typically in Safari, believe it or not. There's lots of sophisticated bookmark managers yeah, and, uh, and ways to do that. But I know Chrome has a similar function where you can actually just search through your bookmarks. Mm-hmm. You open up a page and then you can find that keyword, yeah, whatever it was, you know, dishwashing as a second career or whatever it was you want to go back to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Search for that. Yeah. No, but I actually do. I do have some folders too, like around particular topics that mm-hmm. I'm interested in. Or, and so if I look back, uh, well, I don't have it open right now, but you know, it's it's things like I do have a COVID folder. I do have a practice building folder. I do have an inflammation folder. I have a tendinopathy folder. I have, I mean, for a lot of our topics in our podcast, we've done all these last 34, 35 episodes. I got a folder of things I was just spotting and throwing into those folders there. Yeah. Right. Do you, so then in terms of organizing that information, do you kind of take it from there into yeah. some other place as you're like, let's say getting ready to work on an article or getting ready to work on another topic or something like that? Or how do you kind of organize yeah. your next group of thoughts? Like, let's say you got five articles on tendon disorders scattered, scattered across right. multiple places. How do you kind of consolidate things? Well, the, the other part of that system, like you said, is the back end of that is the trigger that gets me to use it, which yeah. might be our episode or might be that article or might be that class or might be that client mm-hmm. that I got coming. It's got that thing. So something spurs me to go back there and go through it and read a couple of them and review. Maybe someone asked me a question. Yeah, I actually do go back and just read stuff too. I try to, at the end of the day when I'm relaxing, Sometimes I just let myself go to whatever Netflix thing is pulling me, but there's other nights where I'll just open up a bookmark folder and start reading a couple of those. 
Mm-hmm. Too. Right. And then I have another, I have just a category. This is kind of miscellaneous, uncategorized, interesting reading. It's this random stuff too. It's always, always yeah. fun too. Right. Um, do you use any type of um, like a note organization process like Evernote or any of those kinds of um, uh-huh. uh, organizational things also? I've tried all those that mm-hmm. I know about. I use uh, Apple Notes. I use the Notes feature built into the Apple devices. Yeah, okay. And this is not an advertisement for them, but it's just a, it's so bare bones simple, and it does synch- synchronize across all the devices, and it has great dictation. That's yeah. what I need, Yeah, basically, and a great search function as well. Yeah, right. That's, all, that's basically what I need. How about, so, but how about you? Because, I mean, that's my bare bones structure. Yeah. Bookmark, folders, a, a really rough organization, a lot of searching, mm-hmm. and then triggers to get me to go back there. Yeah. What's... What's your infrastructure or framework for that kind of stuff? Somewhat similar, but also some different pieces of that. Uh, I really, this is interesting. I migrated away from a lot of web bookmarks and bookmark folders in my browser. Um, I had a bad situation a number of years ago where something happened with my browser cache and I lost it all. Um, And it made me really uh, gun shy about storing that kind of content in my browser. So um, I do use Evernote actually quite a lot for organizing things into different sort of, uh, you know, folders. And I mean, I I, honestly, I do have a number of folders in my browser with a a bunch of bookmarks. So there's a bunch of stuff in there, things that I use a lot. So I keep those things in there that I'm using frequently and accessing. But when I have things that I want to store that I know I may not may or may not remember them, I use Evernote a lot and organize things into just folder structures there in Evernote. And it's nice because I can save images, audio files, um, you know, bookmarks, web links, you know, notes that I take off of something. And it's, again, it's synced across multiple devices. So I can pick it up on my phone, my tablet, you know, my uh, PC and all that stuff. So uh, I do that. Then also on the, you're going to think of yourself. Well, I'm sorry. It's just a random thought but do you think of yourself as a collector oh yeah yeah yeah. i'm one of those people like you know before the internet was around i was i was you know buying up medical books and just you know cramming my shelves full of this stuff just because i knew it was there and i knew i could get it you know so the same thing is true with this sort of stuff and uh you know i've uh, got a huge collection of, of research articles on my drive now that i can access and to try to organize that stuff. I use Mendeley a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, I pull down a lot of the, uh, yeah, Mendeley. So M E N D E L E Y. If you're not familiar with that, I'm going to start pulling that list out right now. Mendeley is a bibliographic database, uh, tool. So basically what it does is, uh, like when I'm pulling down research articles off the web and this may be, you know, either, uh, free, uh, PDF articles that I've found from PubMed or something like that, or sometimes I'm pulling those articles out of other resources like Sci-Hub. We'll put a link to that as well, which is another place where people um, are, you know, getting various articles and things like that. So, I've, you know, I've got hundreds of research articles in one folder, which is my folder of articles, and then I use Mendeley to organize them. Um, so that I can look it up by, you know, author, by um, date of publication, by topic matter, and that sort of thing. And the nice thing about Mendeley is a da- is a bibliographic database is because I do a lot of writing, as you know, you know, you and I are both writing a lot mm-hmm. for magazine articles and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mendeley also automatically formats the citations when I want to put stuff in an article. So I use the bibliographic database feature there to 
um, use citations either in your book chapters, book content or articles or things like that or research papers. And it's a huge, huge help because that stuff is, you know, hard to, it's time consuming to do that oh manually. Gosh. Yeah. So, you know, this, you turned me on to Mendeley, I got to say, and just, just to clarify for people, it's a citation manager. Is that what you'd say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so then I ended up, of course, since I'm on the other side, I'm on the Mac side, I ended up uh, settling in with, uh, oh boy, now that I started to talk about it, uh, Zotero. Zotero. Yeah, Zotero. Zotero. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which has worked better on my side than Mendeley, but that's yeah. it's such a useful tip you gave me about keeping those things organized. Wow. Yeah. So, and it does the same sorts of things. There's a number of these different tools out there. Zotero is another great one. And you just, uh, I mean, I put folders together with different topics and different things and can put all those articles in there. And an article can be in more than one folder. And, you know, a lot of times I'll just, you know, have an article for current articles or a folder with current article pieces that I'm working on and just be able to to quickly pull them out there. So that's a really good way to organize some of that kind of uh, research stuff. Now, the title of our episode is What Inspires Us, uh, What Drives Our Learning. I And honestly, we're geeking out on these really cool organizational things. Yeah. Do you, do you like me, find any of that inspiring and interesting? Yes. And because I'm, because I'm a geek about it, and you are too, I think it's totally cool. I mean, I can sit here and look at this stuff all day. And again, it's, it's part of it is, for me, it's just knowing that there's all this stuff out there. And yeah. it's the same feeling that I got in the pre-internet days when I, I you know, lived back in Atlanta and I lived down the road from Emory University Medical Library. And I would just go over to the medical library in my spare time and just walk in and just sort of look around. It's like, where am I going today? And mm. That would just, it was tremendously inspirational because I just thought there's so much in here, such a wealth of knowledge and things that can really, um, you know, I could apply to what I'm doing and I don't even know where I'm going to go. And a lot of times I would read an article and then read citations that were at the end of that article and that would take me to another piece and that would take me to another piece. And it's just this sort of treasure hunt. So yeah, as geeky as all the technology behind storing all this stuff and where you get it is, yeah, that really does in fact inspire me. So I know I'm weird, um, but no, I'm, I'm well. If you are, then I am because no, it's some, there's something about uh, collecting, categorizing, organizing, retaining, being able to retrieve later. That's enormously satisfying in itself for me too. Yeah. And I realized at some point that's the foundation for my teaching on teaching techniques and ideas that I collected and you know concepts and things like that. I'm playing in the background music that I collected. I'm advertising to a database of interested people that I collected. It's like that collecting part, I really realized, is uh, in itself an enjoyable and uh, it turns out productive kind of activity. Yeah, yeah. It started way back for me with like uh, probably like toy cars or something like that. I remember being old toy cars. Yeah, it's, it is certainly a an inherent characteristic of that feeling. Uh, it's the FOMO, you know, for those who are not familiar with that term, the F-O-M-O, the fear of missing out. You know, it's just, um, I well, don't have that fear of missing out so bad. If I know I've got all these collections of resources and articles, and even if I don't ever get to reading it all, I know I've got it there. So, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I read maybe 1% of my bookmarks. Yeah. yeah but, you know, the ones that I read, I love and I love having mm-hmm. them there. Yeah. Oh, and I would be curious to ask if you ever do this. Do you go back and read things that you have read before and like, oh, this is fascinating. Like, this is really, you know, interesting. You realize, hey, well, actually, I have read this before. Um, you know. <laughs> yes, I actually, yes. And the opposite going, oh, my gosh, I said that. 
yeah. time to revise that for that's sure. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. When it's in your own stuff, you go back and read, like, yeah. you know, go back and read something in the book I wrote, and it's like, wow, that's really fascinating. You're like, oh my gosh, really? You wrote that and published it even. So, yeah. That's it. All right. What else? Well, Tell me what else is on, uh, what's next down the list there? I'm looking at your list. You got some good stuff. Tell me about uh, Concast. Yes, there's a couple of good podcasts that I like listening to. Um, In particular, I wanted to highlight two of these. Um, Concast is one from a gentleman named Connor Collins. Um, uh, Both of these podcasts come out of Canada. Uh, Mm -hmm. He does some really good uh, clinical topics that he touches base on here. Uh, the other podcast is one called Two Massage Therapists and a Microphone. Uh, those yeah. folks are over in Toronto. Um, you're sure yeah. you listen to them a good bit. Um, I will s- say that you know s- their podcast really is interesting because it. I think they delve into a lot of the things that happen with massage therapists on a day-to-day basis to really kind of get into the into the trenches with them of things that they're grappling with. So. Um, uh, it, it, it del- the Concast um, podcast is a little bit more technical oriented with uh, some of those kinds of, of details. But for them, for me, actually, both of them have, have turned out to be quite interesting because it really gives me a window into understanding our field in another country a lot more specifically in particular mm-hmm. what goes on in, in Canada and the approach and the perspectives about things that are going on there. So, um, you know, I've gotten a lot out of, of listening to both those and they bring on some, some really fascinating guests with great, um, interesting ideas and interesting things to share as well. So, um, uh, check those out on your, wherever your podcast you're listening to C O N C A S D Concast. And the other one, two massage therapists and a microphone. microphone. We're going to link all those in there for sure in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, So then I also see you have Clinical Edge up there. Is that David Pope's? That is David Pope's thing. And I I, uh, recently got involved with him on the membership level. You know, I had listened to David Pope's podcast, the Physio Edge podcast. um, And I decided I wanted to dig in uh, deeper because there's just a ton of really good information there. So David Pope is a physiotherapist down in Australia. And uh, he put together this website of, it's basically a membership um, site for having educational resources. He's kind of, uh, in some ways, doing what I envision, you know, having to deal with, which is that we live in remote areas where we don't have easy access to a lot of the other educational resources that people might have in a big city with, you know, workshops and training programs. So he tried to get together some of the really uh, high level, excellent presenters in his field and put, have them put together educational resources, you know, videos and courses and things like that that covered, uh, some really uh, pertinent topics for, um, musculoskeletal rehabilitation. So, um, clinicaledge.co, I believe is the website. Um, and I would encourage if you want some, um, really into digging deep into some, some fascinating topics on musculoskeletal rehab, uh, musculoskeletal, if you're living down there. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, fascinating stuff down there. Or up there, that's what they say in Canada okay. too. That's surrounded right. by that's those right. musculoskeletals. But that's right. Yeah, you know, I listen. No, he's on my short list too, David Pope's mm-hmm. And do you think he's a collector? I suspect he's a. Collector I think he's a collector as well. As well. Yeah, he's I would got think a pretty so. impressive collection yeah. of yeah. different people. Like he's doing a series now with Joe Gibson on the shoulder. It's just yeah. fantastic. Yeah, and that's if a you're part- really into the technical stuff, it's just yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, there was an episode, a recent episode I listened to there that was just fascinating about, you know, alternative causes of shoulder pain. And and in this uh, clinical case that Joe Gibson was going through talking about somebody who was not responding to the 
typical patterns that we would see in a shoulder pathology when you were evaluating. And it turned out the person had a gallbladder disorder, which tends to refer yes. pain in the shoulder. And it was a great um, sort of reminder that we have to look in a broader picture sometimes for some of these things that we might tend to be looking at. Because um, yeah. I know I have that particular lens of bias. I tend to look for you know, musculoskeletal causes of things. Yep, exactly. And uh, it, it ain't always there. So, well, th while we're on the topic, maybe I'll tell you my podcasts too. And uh, I, I go for sure. David Pope, like I said, Physio Edge is on my short list. The other one I enjoy quite a bit is Jack Chu and his team's Physio uh, yeah. Matters. Yeah, it's good. They've been doing it for quite a while. It's been fun to really listen to their evolution and their growth yeah. over the time. And then there's another one that's almost like on the other end of, say, the biopsychosocial slash uh, biomechanics spectrum, and that's the gate guys. Mm -hmm. they, they tend to be super anatomical, super geeky, super biomechanical, and I enjoy their perspective on some really detailed stuff too sometimes. And, you know, sometimes I just cruise the titles and pick one out that's interesting, but more often I'll have a topic that I'm interested in and search Google for podcast plus that word, like uh, migraines. Tell yeah. me about the po migraine podcast. And I'll get a lot of patient-directed things, but then I'll get a fair number of practitioner-directed ones too that take me into places that I didn't expect. And that's my way of trying to jump the algorithms to get outside of my bubble too a little bit. I'm still in Google's uh, yeah. guests of what I want. But right. I, it's like I, uh, I, I know that if I go search David Pope or Jack Chu, I'm going to get a pretty thorough, pretty science-based, pretty considered point of view. But sometimes I'll get really surprised. And I've learned some really great stuff, say, about scoliosis from just that, again, jumping the algorithm kind of approach. Let's get outside my usual sources yeah. and check it out. Yeah. So how, how do you kind of, um, when you search for those kinds of things, you just start in, at one yeah. place, like with that person's name, and then just see where it leads you sometimes? And then, mm -hmm. Or how do you do that? I'll search yeah, let's say I'll, I'll typically search for a condition mm -hmm. uh -huh. okay. or, you know, I would like migraines. Tell me about migraines or manual therapy and migraines mm -hmm. or, you know, or uh, what did we do recently? Thoracic outlet and hypermobility. I'll search for that correlation. Yeah. Because it turns out there is some document, you know, some documented uh, correlation between those two conditions. So I want to know who's done that work. Is that a theoretical correlation or if people actually observe that and that takes me down all kinds of fun rabbit holes yeah and then and then the other thing i'll do is if i want to know okay so what does joe gibson think about that because she's got some really seems to be really informed opinions on the shoulder then i'll go to the phys uh, sorry the physio edge or i'll search for her name joe gibson and the you know mm -hmm. thoracic outlet and hypermobility or something like that so yeah string together and that'll be just Google with the podcast thing so I can listen to it. But then if I really want to dive into, say, the the source material, then it would be Google Scholar. Mm -hmm. Google Scholar, uh, where I can see, the again, the academic version of Google to show me what's been published on that. And then I can dial that down by year. Or PubMed. Yeah. You know, I, think can, uh, I want to backtrack for just a backtrack. second here because um, a lot of people aren't aware of Google Scholar and what it is. Can you just yeah, briefly no. talk about what that is? Um, well, it's Google's uh, search uh, engine focused at academic papers and patents and some other technical stuff. And you can dial it down, though, for, say, uh, medical or, f or uh, physical medicine te technical papers. 
scientific papers around a particular issue. And it's daunting for people that don't have a lot of academic background, but you, but I've seen people get over that hurdle pretty quickly. Once you get in and start playing around, you start to realize how it's pretty simple. And the results you get will take you into some places you don't expect. And it's really pretty fun yeah. to go from one author to the next and see who they're referencing and what's appearing. And then like, oh, you can also, what's cool about Google Scholar is you can see how they're things have evolved over time. So you can see the stuff that was published in the 70s and 80s and the 90s, and then also dial it down to more recent things and see how, like for some of the topics, it gets more um, granular, like more and more specific questions are being asked yeah. as time goes on too. So this it's interesting to see the evolution of the research in that sense as well. Right. Good. Okay, thanks. And then you mentioned PubMed um, as yeah. another resource. Yeah, such a powerful search engine. And then the, also what's really cool is notifications. Like you can get a, you know, if I want to track for a while what people are publishing, uh, you know, like I had one for a long time about fascial science when I, you know, and then it got to be overwhelming. There's so much coming out about it. But for instance, you can have it notify you when someone publishes a new paper about fascial science. Now I tend to use uh, ResearchGate for that kind of stuff, just to essentially it's like social following of the authors and researchers that I'm interested in that I've liked before. Yeah. So like I'll have one there on Toby Hall or on Robert Schleip or different people that are doing, or on uh, uh, Mosley, mm-hmm. Lorimer, Mosley, you know, to see what they're up to and, and hear about it early on and when they publish something to see what they're doing and to see what other people are saying about them as well. Yeah. And just to kind of um, sort of backtrack into the technology and the geek end of this a little bit too, what you're speaking about here with Google Scholar and PubMed, um, that these tools that we mentioned earlier, like Mendeley and Zotero, gives you the capability when you find these studies listed either in PubMed or or Google Scholar or something to download the citations into your citation organizer and you know keep them directly there and then have have those things uh, automatically populate through there. So those tools connect with these large uh, research databases as well. So that's that's a great way to to be able to begin organizing that stuff and putting it together. Yep, for the collector and you, yeah. or for just the follow your nose. Like let's see where this leads. Uh, Explorer and you, yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. Those of us who find anything fun. Right. So, uh, well, so what, what's next? Oh, your turn. You tell me. Well, I'm going to take a slightly different track here and talk about something. Going back to the the question of inspiration, this is along the line sort of, of professional resources, but it's also a little bit off the edge, but, um, you know, I'm, you know, I am an education geek also, not only the the Ah. clinical stuff here, but I love diving into education things. And, um, So there's some, you know, some wonderful resources out there. I'm just started uh, reading for probably the third time uh, this book by Grant Wiggins called Understanding by Design, which has to do with a particular uh, instructional design strategy about building learning activities in what they call backward design, which is essentially, you know, the way that things are done a lot in education is you start with uh, like when you're told you're going to teach a class, you look at, okay, here's the content we need to cover. And then you present the content and you think, okay, now we got to test people or evaluate them. And that happens at the end of the course. But backwards design really starts at the end with what do we want people to be able to know or do when they learn something? And then we look backwards at like, how are we going to evaluate that they have done that? And then back up from that, like what educational activities do we need to produce 
in order to be able to get people to that point. So um, his uh, work has been really fascinating. I've been digging into that a great deal and looking at that. And that also kind of gravitates over into something else that I was just going to mention here briefly too, uh, because this is something I, another thing I kind of geek out on and love to, to delve into that has inspired me a lot. And I'm not exactly sure how this plays into some of the clinical work, but I oftentimes like looking at some fascinating things with larger scale trends, like in business and education and things like that. And, uh, there's a, a, a group that was started by a Harvard business professor named Clayton Christensen a number of years ago when he wrote a book called The Innovator's Dilemma. And in this book, he introduced the title or the term disruptive innovation, which has become kind of a buzzword in business, has become very misused in terms of the way he originally designed the ideas. But the idea behind this is that you see things evolve in uh, our culture, society, whatever, whether that's um, a product or a process or something, and they continue to evolve and get better and better. And they come to a point at which they sort of are continuing to try to innovate along those same lines. Uh, and they become more expensive, more complex, and sort of bigger and more unwieldy. And we see this happen in, you know, uh, like I said, products. You see it happen in our educational system. You see it happening in our uh, governmental systems, all kinds of things. And then something comes along and um, is usually very simple, uh, very rudimentary, and it doesn't fit those same kinds of guidelines. And it will tend to sort of disrupt that whole process because it becomes usable in a way that something else wasn't. Um, and where I'm going with all this is that I, I've been fascinated with this whole idea of disruptive innovations across multiple fields. I mean, you see it in the computer industry. He gives examples of it being done with construction equipment and in particular in education. I think we're at a place now where we're starting to see some of this occurring because our our educational system has become pretty unwieldy and large and it has not innovated a great deal. Um, and a lot of the things that are happening with online education and innovative, unique means of presenting things that have often been driven by this COVID situation here, like, you know, you've done some really innovative and different, interesting things with your coursework here during this time. So some of these kinds of things are um, inspiring for me to look at what we might do to change things up and become different from uh, things being done all the way that they've been done for so long. Any other examples from our field? No, it's really interesting what you're saying. Yeah. A disruptive. I, yeah. Um, I wonder about this whole, I, I've tried to like see, like, is there a way in which this could be applied to what we're doing specifically in our field and in the way things are done? And um, I don't know that I see as many uh, direct uh, sort of connections with that from the, the hands-on therapies that we do, but I think it's more in some of the big, bigger scale things like education um, on the large scales where I see what that, that will be most impacted by those kinds of things. Now, of course, a lot of other things have influenced us in that way. Like, you know, we now carry around a computer in our pocket all the time, you know, because somebody innovated with the ideas of making things smaller, simpler, and instead of bigger and more complex, but making things work more efficiently for us. And how might that change the way we practice? You know, it's those kinds of things have, have touched on us in a lot of different ways that we may not think about. Well, it certainly changes the way we connect with each other. So a lot of practices have adapted to, say, mobile-friendly scheduling or communication, even just, just texting with your clients. Yeah. But I'm thinking, uh, you know, the big disruptor, of course, is COVID. 
mm-hmm. you said, it's disrupted a lot of the ways we did things as educators, but also as practitioners. And there's, uh, you know, for every person that's feeling still at a dead end and not sure how to go forward, there are other stories of people that have really taken this and gone to places they didn't expect to, but that are even more interesting, more satisfying and taking them farther to places they want to go. Yeah. I just, I hear so much, so much, so many interesting stories about people combining movement, combining virtual interviews, finding ways to shorten their session times or finding ways to keep it really safe for themselves Mm -hmm. and continue to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. So the big disruptor, that's what we're dealing with. You know, that's what we're facing now and finding ways through. It often is something like that, that really drives those kinds of changes in in ways that were unexpected. That's right. And that, well, well, we could go through a whole list of disruptive forces, you know, Yeah. uh, I'm going to resist for now because there's so, there's so many at work in our world and in our field. Yeah. So what have you got? What's next on your list there? Well, it's one of yours too. And that is the company of one. Uh Paul Jarvis, while we're talking about big ideas from the business world that have been influential. Yeah, I got to the place where uh, with COVID, I'm going, oh my God, what have I invented? Victim of my own success. I created a monster of Mm -hmm. a business that was keeping me so busy and keeping my staff so busy that it was a, you know, really had me reflecting and talking to you. And you said, well, help check out this company of one book. And it was, uh, again, he just did such a great job of articulating Paul Jarvis, what I had been building around originally a simple, clear offering that's based around something that's compelling and useful to people. And that doesn't try to make it overly complex, but keeps it fairly simple. Mm-hmm. And a part of its purpose is to give you who use our uh, services and me who provide those services a really great life, a really great lifestyle and a really great way to learn and engage and be together. Yeah. In this space. yeah. So he's no, it's been really helpful in just kind of retooling my uh, framework and my thinking around that. Yeah. Company one. Thank you for that recommendation. Absolutely. You know, we're so driven, I think, in especially in the media by um, these pictures or ideas that we have to grow, get bigger, you know, get more employees, make your company big, you know, big, 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 you know, increase size. And his thing was, you know, look at your quality of life and what this is really about for you and decide, do you really feel the need to continue driving yourself that big? And one of the things that attracted me about his ideas and concepts was that so many of the people, the vast majority of people probably who are listening to our podcast are people working as individuals. And so mm-hmm. that thing uh, mm-hmm. about, you know, how do we find ways to make our life enjoyable and also not feel, not get sucked into this need of, of having to try to constantly be bigger, better, whatever. And there's a lot of ways to make your, your individual business uh, work very effectively for you. And this kind of, this leaks over it also into some things that are a bit more technical and technological about, you know, how do you bring automation into your um, business, your clinical practice, for example, in ways that you can cut down on things that take up a lot of your time and allow you to do more of the things that you want to be doing. So um, there's a lot of ways that I think we can look at some of those lessons that come come out of his book that um, and find ways to make them really work for everybody. Yeah, and yet paradoxically, focusing more on what your clients really want from you. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're just going to have a robo practice where they schedule online, pay online, show up and leave, and do the rest online. You're it's actually when you when your time's freed up in a sense, and where you're clear about what you're providing, 
you can use different tools to really understand better what your clients want and how to uh, engage with them around that, how to deliver that too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Well, uh, I'm seeing a few more on your list there. Any of those others, professional ones you want to cover? Yeah, so I think we've uh, touched on a number of those uh, things on there that um, I want to, I'm just going to put one more plug out here also for yeah. another course that I'm doing again. This is a second time through this. I did this course live once, and now I'm doing the online version. This is Greg Lehman's Reconciling Biomechanics with Pain Science course. Yeah. Um, and this is a really good course. It's online. Um, this particular version, he does it as a live course and this one is online and, it's, and you can find it through his website. And we'll put this in the show notes at greglayman.ca. Greg is a physiotherapist, chiropractor and biomechanics researcher in Toronto, Ontario. And he's just, uh, put together some really good, uh, balanced perspectives on these questions that we come up with on, you know, is it biomechanical in terms of a problem somebody has, or is it having to do with a larger scale biopsychosocial pain thing? Or when does biomechanics really matter? And when does it perhaps not matter so much? And, uh, you know, there's a lot of opinions that are bandied back and forth in, in our, you know, Facebook groups and discussion forums about this kind of stuff. And the thing that I really appreciate about him is he's done the research and he like, he will just fly off with, you know, P naming people's studies from, you know, the last 10, 15 years. Right off the top of his head. Yes, right. Because he's, it's all in his head. He's just really got it all there. And he knows what this stuff means in terms of integrating it well. So it's a great, um, great course and something I would encourage people to dive into because you can go back and read it, look over it and, and learn stuff over and over and over again from, from him. It's a really good resource. I'm with you. Now we actually co-sponsored him years ago when he came to Denver that my business did because I was uh, really learning a lot from his perspective. And you know, there's an interesting crossover there with, believe it or not, company of one. And that I tell me if you agree, I think the part of his essential message is keep it simple. You yeah. don't have to get uh -huh. so complicated. We don't have to like really analyze yeah. every half a degree of movement, say, or angle that really we can put some perspective on this and look at the forces involved or issues involved, yeah. including non-physical forces, you could say, and uh, make a determination, make, find ways to help that aren't quite so complicated. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So good. Anything else that you've got there? I know we were also going to talk about some some personal resources, but anything else that you want to yeah, touch base yeah. on with the professional we're, resources there? No, this is blending in that direction for yeah. sure. It's honestly, I mean, there's a couple on my list too, like The Economist magazine. I just, I really enjoy reading The Economist magazine. It's talk about geeky. They're totally, total quants. They really measure things in terms of uh, financials or they look for a way to measure it and then turn it into some really interesting analysis. It's written for people running businesses or teaching in the academics in that field. So it's pretty, uh, you know, technical in a sense, but it's not dry. They're actually really good writers. They publish their own style guide about how to write in the, with the clarity that they are using there in that magazine. And it's, I really enjoyed the economist quite a bit. Yeah. Nice. But yeah, it, in terms of the, you know, as we start to go over toward that personal realm, when I have a question, like I say, Oh my God, what am I going to do about this business? This is just a little monster, you know, so, so much activity. I'll call up some colleagues or ping them and say, what do you know about that? And that's how you, for instance, Whitney gave me the advice around company of one. 
So really, I got to put my professional network, my colleagues, my friends, my mentors, and my learn you know my learners as a community of a network of people that I can put out my problems to and come back with some ideas, resources, inspiration that I hadn't anticipated. That is, I think, so crucial and so important is developing that network. And you know what's um, particularly valuable about that is is finding ways to connect with those who have similar situations of what's you know what you're going through. Um, you know, a number of years, well, a while back, I had read this thing about. Um, uh, finding an accountability partner, you know, somebody who has similar kinds of things that you are grappling with and how you can hold each other accountable for doing this. And that's, this is a great example of that whole process. And, and I thought, well, like, um, I could really benefit from doing something like that and, and started a process doing this with Ruth Werner because we were both doing a lot of production process. We had deadlines for writing and, and similar kinds of things. And I thought like, let's, you know, we're going to meet. And this is, we still do, we've been doing this for, I don't know, I don't know how long now, a year and a half or more. We meet every two weeks um, and, you know, hold each other accountable and talk about how we're doing on our various different projects. And, and that kind of networking process, like you said, really, really valuable there, I think. That's, that's sweet to know that you, I forgot that you two do that. That's really great. And just, so it could be an overt accountability arrangement you have with someone. Let's meet and talk about our projects and keep each other on track. Or I think you do this with me less in a more backdoor way. You said, hey, let's do this podcast together. Mm-hmm. And so I guess it's going to be easier to two of us. I said, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Guess what? It's actually like, uh, now I got to get stuff done. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, now you got to be ready for some things. Yeah. And that's a kind of accountability arrangement there too. Yeah. Which is similar to the commitments that I have with a ABNP, one of our sponsors, you know, the writing for them mm. keeps me on track. So that kind of accountability arrangements with people, it could be your own blog. It could be a blog you do with somebody else for your practice, say, I'm trying to translate this into practice level kind of actions. Why don't you uh, get together with someone and say, let's put out a YouTube you know, yeah. let's take turns. Yeah. Let's uh-huh. publish a little YouTube about our one technique. We have uh, you know, some people in our community that are doing it and just really fun results too. Yeah. Get, a, get an accountability buddy. Yeah. And, you know, it's part of that whole thing of, of the joined energy is um, produces, I think, so many more rich things that you might not come upon by yourself. And that that is, I know that kind of thing is particularly valuable and important for people like me who are, uh, highly introverted, actually. You know, it's. I was talking to somebody the other day. They, you know, they were. We were talking about you know this getting up at the conventions and speaking and all this kind of stuff. I said, you know, it's really odd if you know some of these individuals and know like me personally. You know, I go do all these things very publicly, uh-huh. visible, and all that kind of thing. But the reality is, I'm a real introvert, and I just you know, much more at home, just kind of being in my own quiet little space and being by myself, and you know, like. A lot of times when we're at these big conventions and things like that, I am like, it's all I can do just to take it um, in the public persona thing yeah. during the day. I just have to go back and, and you know, crash and recharge batteries and, you know, just do something to get kind of out of that space because I am. I don't think that's uncommon. I think yeah. both as presenters, but then also as practitioners, I think. I think that's so common. I'm just thinking of so many people over the years that I've heard describe themselves as introverts and from yeah. their public persona or as their, and even as their reputation as a practitioner, I wouldn't have guessed that. But then 
of course, once they said that, I started looking harder and go, yeah, I recognize a fellow introvert over there. Sure. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, from what you're doing with your work, very intensely focused on a lot of individuals each day, you know, multiple times, all really, you know, zeroing in on what you're doing with your clients. I can see, I mean, I know I certainly felt that a lot in doing that kind of clinical work day after day, long hours of the day. Yeah. You just get really just washed. You know, it's you, you got to find right. something to to rejuvenate and bring you back up. So, uh, yeah. So what, what rejuvenates you and what kind of brings you back, brings well, you back talking, replenished? Yeah. Talking to sympathetic ears, both, you know, professional colleagues, I can just call someone up and talk about a problem, but for sure the personal ones, mm-hmm. like, especially if something's really just, if I got a lump in my batter, that's just not getting stirred out somehow, something that's just churning over and bugging me, just calling somebody, you know, just, (laughs) yeah, call it up somebody who's, who's got some either, you know, sympathy around that experience or can just listen to me and just being able to talk about it. What a resource, what a gift. And then, you know, it's often starting the conversation. Can I just talk to you about this? And then there's a number of people, of course, where we've developed that ability to do that. And I remember the first time one of my friends said this, is still, I'm so glad you called me about this. If you ever want to talk at two in the morning, I'm that guy. And oh, wow. you're speaking, yeah, you're speaking metaphorically, but I realized, yeah. wow, that means a lot. Yeah. And I haven't that actually cool. taken him up on that, but just to know that that offer was there. Yeah. Was uh, that kind that kind of sympathetic here. You need, I need a few of those around. Yeah. Know. That is indeed always helpful. Yeah. 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 So well, how about you? You know, uh, I'm going to go on a slightly different uh, track with this also in talking about personal inspiration. You know, I when I sit down to work and sit down to do things, you know, a lot of times there's projects that are just, you know, I'm, I'm in the zone and I can really just zero in on it. But there's a lot of times, too, that I am not in that place and I need to find something to kind of bring me back yeah. into that creative space and to that place of being able to do things. And for me, a lot of it revolves around music. Um oh. And this has to do, I think, a lot with my background as you know, being a musician many years ago. Um, right. And but now, so you know, I don't really, I don't play anymore. So I don't play music anymore. I haven't, you know, I don't really have the time to get that kind of thing into my life a lot. But I listen to a lot of music, and there are certain types mm-hmm. of things in particular that I always gravitate back to that are really about, I think, opening up some of those creative spaces. And a lot of times, it's you know, improvisatory things, you know, things involve a lot of improvisation or complex uh, compositions or just really mm-hmm. well done uh, blends of instruments, you know, uh, like in particular, I was, I was, names, like, yeah. what, what points, you know, what really points out that to me um, at like top of my list is the Pat Metheny group. Pat yeah. Metheny is a jazz guitarist um, and the, uh, um, musicians that play with them. This is especially the roughly 1980 to 1995 version of of the Pat Metheny group. Uh, they just had some people who gelled so well together in what they played that, it, and they came together with these just marvelous, marvelous compositions of of things that were really wonderful. Uh, Michael Hedges is, is another name that has always, he's a person, is another guitarist who has always inspired me tremendously as a composer and somebody who's put, uh, he said interestingly something one time about, I'm not like this uh, guitarist trying to make these sounds, I'm a composer and trying to find ways to get these sound ideas out and the guitar simply happens to be um, 
the tool to do that with. So I think for me, that kind of leaks over into feeling like there's something that I want to do about, you know, helping to reduce pain in the world and, you know, writing and teaching and education turns out to be the vehicle to get me there. So that's, that's kind of like the similar sort of thing that I, that I try to look at it that way. That's well said. No, that's music is such a resource for me too. You make me realize. And, uh, you know, I Spotify, just getting Spotify going and having it surprise me about stuff. Yeah. Pandora's another one, maybe Pandora's algorithm even is even a little more, um, relevantly unpredictable. Yeah. Sometimes showing me stuff that I wouldn't have stumbled across on my own mm-hmm. and, uh, just you know that improvisational piece, but I'm also thinking, I'm just remembering my, one of my favorite playlists right now is North Indian classical music for studying. Mm-hmm. And it's somebody's compilation of Indian classical music. This is, you know, sitar, tabla music. Yeah. It's actually fantastic. This is so wonderful yeah. to have as a background thing while I'm actually reading or doing something there. You know what I find interesting too about the music thing is, and my wife gives me a lot of grief about this because um, I can't listen to like something like Pat Metheny or, um, you know, Michael Brecker was another one of my saxophone heroes. And I can't listen to that kind of music when I'm trying to concentrate and doing something because my mind goes to listening to what they're doing, Um, listening to like the way the bass player is playing around what the, wow, look at chord variation that Lyle Mays played there, you know? Uh, So when I work, um, I have music on all day long, but what I listen to is what's most frequently referred to as space music, which is uh, just uh, almost like ethereal sound um, pastel textures of you know synthesizer stuff that doesn't have a, t- a tune, doesn't have a melody, uh, but it, it is sound that um, I can get into a deeper sense of concentration with. Otherwise, if it's something that's melodic or rhythmic or whatever, I'll start listening to that and sort of that will take my attention away. Do you, do you, do you do the social music thing? Are you on Spotify with playlists? And I'm like on that? Spotify, but I don't share playlists or anything like that. I just, you know, I've made my own playlists of, of things and, and put them in over time, but I don't, I don't do like the social sharing thing. So no, well, maybe I can tempt you. Cause I just, I just did a search for you on Spotify and I get the thinking practitioner. You ever heard of that? Never thinking heard of it. Podcast. Never heard so of apparently, it. Yeah. We're on Spotify, okay. but no, I got a couple of shared playlists on Spotify that I throw huh. things into both for background or for foreground. Yeah. Things. So that's a fun way to also to, to, uh, share and connect and get suggestions from people as well. I'll have to do that. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to explore that. So, yeah. Well, what else you got? Uh, anything else on the, there's, there's, we, we got to mention this one before we wrap it up and that's nature. Yes. I saw it on both of our lists. Yeah. And, uh, it just has a resource or a source of inspiration. If I don't get some, and it's connected with activity for me, just being outside or being in some nature is big. Mm-hmm but moving or being in my body or having a way that I'm physically active outdoors is a double dose of balance. You could say if I don't get one of those or both of those every day, I'm just not having as good a day. You know, if I don't get some time outdoors, if I don't get some time being physically active, then I'm just, uh, and it's just, it's predictable reset for me, both in terms of mood clarity, but also just my physical well being as, as well. And, Really, I'm just going back to my days 22, you know, 20 years ago, two decades ago, dealing with chronic pain and chronic symptoms. If I could get myself outside, if I could get myself even physically active, get myself past that initial 
um, hump of inertia and discomfort, my day was always better. Yes. And it's still true. It's still true for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that resonates for, for both of us. And, and, you know, I, I find myself, uh, battling against the idea that the sort of type a driven, um, psychological things that I have for myself of like, I got to go get this done. I got this work to do. I got to get this thing done. And which is so hard when you work at home because it's always there, those things that you need to do. But I have really tried to work hard uh, in the last few years and gotten better about it of recognizing that if I do take those breaks and I go, I go outside and I sit outside because I live in a very rural place that's backed up to the you know forest and I can just go stroll around out in the forest and listen to the you know, the sounds of the forest out there, it's a really rejuvenating break. And that actually is beneficial. That really helps me get things done better. That is really uh, good. And, uh, you know, it's in, in various different seasons, especially in the summer season, that gets exaggerated a great deal because I'm helping my wife with the wild bird rehabilitation that she does. So we're dealing with patients um, in a very different world than the massage world, but, you know, helping save lives and do things with, um, you know, getting little critters back to their environment too. So those, those aspects of connecting with a different aspect of nature are, are very healing and, and inspiring for, for me too. So not being in nature, but then also the animal uh, work you do. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Put on your resource list. Yeah, I did. And that's, that's an important connection of, uh, and that, you know, I've got, well, we have a bunch of domestic animals living in our house all the time, mm -hmm. in addition to the bird patients that move through here. So I try to spend time with everybody, you know, go run with the dogs you know, during the day, play with the cats, you know, bird sits on my desk, chirps out in the podcast every once in a while, you know, we, <laughs> we have to, but yeah. So yeah, try to, to connect with those things and sort of remember, uh, about all the little uh, critter critters and creatures and beings that are inhabiting the planet with us here all, all the time. So that's great. Well, this it just makes me think about how many how how much kids light up when they see an animal. Yeah, and how many stories I hear about kids' first words being dog or bird or something like that. There's yeah. something just so basically interesting, nourishing, inspiring, exciting about an animal, a living animal, yeah, on the living sides of nature. So, well, hopefully we've produced some uh, ideas and thoughts for our listeners there that will help them um, explore ways to become more creative, inspirational, and productive in your work. And uh, hey, share with us some other things too. If you think got some ideas that we didn't think of, we'd love to hear about those, those things as well. So yeah, both, I think both the things that you use, that'd be fun to hear you talk about, but also the challenges you might have, because I know it's an ongoing question. How do you stay inspired? How do you stay connected? How do you manage your collections, the things that you want to do? And how do you use those to lead a really satisfying life and, and perform a really useful service to the people that you serve? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, well, very good. Well, we uh, will wrap that up uh, here today. We have one uh, closing message from our closing sponsor today. Who's our closing sponsor today, Till? Uh, it's Books of Discovery. Books of Discovery has been a part of massage therapy education for 20 years. Thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks, e textbooks and digital resources. In these trying times, they say this beloved publisher is dedicated to helping educators with online-friendly digital resources that make instruction easier and more effective in the classroom or virtually. 
they like to say learning adventures start here at Books of Discovery. See, we they see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast, and they're proud to sponsor our work, knowing we share the mission to bring the massage and bodywork community enlivening content that advances our profession. They invite you to check out their collection of e-textbooks and digital learning resources for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, and physiology at booksofdiscovery.com. Thanks to Andrew Beal and to Books of Discovery for their support, and be sure to check out their great offer for Thinking Practitioner listeners. So yeah, thanks to them. Thanks to our other sponsors. Stop by our uh, various sites for the full transcripts for all those links we mentioned. We're going to put those together into some show notes for you. Uh, Whitney, what's your site? Where do people find that? They can find that also on my site over at academyofclinicalmassage.com. And Till, where can they find that on your site? Ours is advanced-trainings.com. The top of any page has the blog or podcast link, and that'll take you right to this episode where you can get the transcript and all the links and, and such. If you have questions or things you want to hear us talk about, and we're always getting some fun suggestions, it's great to hear from you too, just email us info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or look for us each on social media. I'm at just at my name, at Till Luca. How about you, Whitney? I'm also at my name over there, at Whitney Lowe. And uh, you can also follow us on Spotify, if you will. We spoke about Spotify earlier. We are over there. Rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you happen to listen, if that is picking up your discarded Marion Berry pie plan, pie plate tilting it up at the Starlink Satellite Network, you'll hear us over there as well. So tell a friend, share the words, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again here soon in a couple weeks. Thanks, Whitney. I'm going to be checking out some of those resources in the meantime. I will too. Yeah, learn some good stuff. All right, see you then. Bye.